0: All right, everyone, welcome to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast with Andrew Drozdak and Thomas Bowen. This is a podcast for slightly above average football fans, slightly below average football fans that want to learn more about the game. And if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here and we hope you enjoy it. All right, everyone, welcome in to episode four of season three of the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. I am your co-host, Andrew Drozdak, and I am joined as always at by my best friend. You know, man, you're not being very nice. They can't see you on camera. I was gonna give you a compliment today. The best oh, no. the best brewmaster in the Midlands, Thomas Bowen. See, man, you're you're not being nice, oh. and I was gonna give you a compliment today. <laughs>
1: Uh, well, I, I think I'm just like Pavlov's dog. I'm, I'm so conditioned to uh getting put on the spot with some sort of baloney, so I just came out with the, the all number ones at you. Yeah, I understand, I understand.
0: It's you know, my but I story. feel like a jerk
1: store now, so yeah, my apologies. I, I,
0: I created that monster, so that's my own doing. Um, yes, you did. All right, so we are here, fans. We are in college football's week one. We had week zero um last week, but uh, you know, other than the Nebraska Northwestern game. Not a whole lot of national attention there. Congratulations to Ryan Helinski for getting the win there with the Wildcats of Northwestern upsetting Nebraska Cornhuskers and maybe solidifying Scott Frost maybe not finishing the season with the Cornhuskers. <laughs> um, but oh, yeah. we're here to talk about X's and O's for the Jimmys and the Joes and particularly about the South Carolina versus Georgia State football game that will be happening Saturday night as well as the Clemson-Georgia Tech game, which is happening on Monday, right, Thomas?
1: That is right. Got some Monday night action. A little
0: Monday night action on this Labor Day. So we're going to jump right into it real quick. But first, that's some breaking news in South Carolina football, or South Carolina athletics in general, I guess. In the world of NIL, (coughs) South Carolina has uh, established something that is new to the world of NIL, the first university to do this, has signed an exclusive deal with a marketing company and will who will represent University of South Carolina athletes. And Thomas, tell me if I'm saying this wrong, essentially free of charge. Like the US, USC, through some alumni and some boosters, have paid handsomely, I think $2.2 million is the number I saw, to have these, this company represent all of our Carolina athletes with the opportunity for them to make money off their name, image, and likeness. Is that your understanding?
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think it's, it's a really, really great thing, and it's really forward-thinking and innovative. I'm sure that – I mean, it's no secret a lot of other colleges are going to fall in line with a similar model, but, yeah – <clears throat> it really gives the university an opportunity. And I heard one of the associate ADs on the radio earlier today said that that was a big sticking point for them was that we had to do this free of charge for the athlete, because, you know, it's just, Something doesn't smell right about saying, hey, we're, we're going to represent you. We're going to give you all these opportunities to make this money. But, oh, by the way, we're also going to take 20 percent of that pie. You know, it, it doesn't it doesn't work that way. So that's really one of the things they wanted this to be. They partnered with, I believe it's Everett Sports Marketing, uh, obviously a very well established sports marketing firm. But, yeah, it's essentially representation within the university for all athletes for uh, NIL deals. And I think it's a brilliant move by the university.
0: I do, too. And I mean, to be honest with you, Thomas, and we'll, we'll get past this to talk actual X's and O's here. But the thing I think about is South Carolina, we have a, a proud alumni basis. We have a lot of uh, really accomplished alumni. But let's be honest, the Alabama alumni of the world, Texas A&M, Texas, they've been kicking in insane money to these guys. This was a way to put our guys and girls on an even playing field without asking for that money from our alumni. In my opinion, this is a way to set our guy, our, our athletes up with some folks that represent high end <laughs> professional athletes and have gotten them great deals without asking alumni uh, to just give an insane amount of money.
1: Yeah. And I think it also works because the, you know, obviously the, the university as, as with any university is and should be is ingrained in the community. So they have those relationships. They can set these, these student athletes up with with local businesses to do deals, TV spots here and, and what have you. And so it's it, it really works. It, it's a benefit for everybody involved, honestly.
0: Totally agree with you. Uh, great move by University of South Carolina um, and, and all athletic departments within our university. So hopefully more positive news come in there. But let's jump into it. South Carolina will be taking on the Panthers of Georgia State at 730 Saturday night at Williams Bryce Stadium. Uh, South Carolina's offense is what I will start off breaking down. Thomas will talk about Georgia State's defense. Then we'll switch. I'll talk Georgia State's offense. Thomas will talk South Carolina Gamecock defense. So I'm going to start us off with the South Carolina offense. If you are a University of South Carolina football fan, you know the name Marcus Satterfield. He has been much maligned. He has been much criticized. Came out today and said he is confident in his abilities as a play caller. Hey, man, I'm here for some confidence. Said that he realizes last year was not what everybody wanted. Talked about it being a difficult year with four starting quarterbacks during the season. So, I, you know, we will see. Ultimately, the Gamecocks want to play a version of a pro-style offense, which is run first with a play-action-based passing attack. Now, used to be years and years ago when you heard pro-style offense, we are thinking 90s football. Quarterback under center, two backs, one tight end, maybe the occasional one back with a slot wide receiver or a second tight end. It was – that was what that meant, that you were going to see that Boring. style. Boring. Boring. You was going to see that style of football. That is not what this is. If you watch the um, – oh, my gosh, I almost called them the St. Louis Rams. Wow. <laughs> um, if you watch the L.A. Rams this season, and really for the past several years as, long, as well as the 49ers and the Packers, they are playing a very similar system in the fact that it is based off of the wide zone play. So we've talked about this a lot on the show, just to give you a very quick recap on what that is. The wide zone as a zone block offensive line, you are not blocking a man. It's just like basketball in zone defense. You don't, you don't guarding a man. You're guarding an area, same concept. You aren't blocking a man. You're blocking an area. You have a track. So when we are doing a outside zone, You are literally trying to take over the gap one away from you to the side of the play. So what that means is if you're lined up with a guy straight up in front of you, you are nose to nose with that person, eyeball to eyeball, you're actually trying to get to the next person over's gap. The idea is you're trying to cut off the defense, stop that flow, and give your running back a lane to get to the outside of the numbers or in between the hash and the sideline and go straight. Now, defenses don't always let you do that. So when they go to overcommit, that's where your running back's going to cut back and make a cutback where they've all sh- flowed over the top to go try and stop that play to the original play side, and there's a good cutback. It takes great vision by your running backs. It takes great patience by your running backs. It also takes your offensive line all working in unison, and we'll talk in a second about why this week that is extremely important for South Carolina's offensive line against this Georgia State Defensive line, defensive front in general. Ultimately, what this offense wants to do is attack the edges. Force the defense to, de- to declare a strength to one side of the field and attack either the opposite side or the more wide open side of the field. You're putting the defense in a bind. We're going to go right. If you try to stop us going right, we're going to come back at you. Could, could be a cutback. That could be a designed counter play. So on a counter run, the offense the offensive line is literally blocking. Like the play is going to the right. The running back is intentionally taking a few steps to the right, sticking his foot in the ground, and coming back left, usually with a pulling offensive lineman going against the grain or a back or tight end coming across that block. Also, this is a great way to force linebackers and safeties to flow down into the box, which means closer to the line of scrimmage where the ball is snapped, and opening up for passing plays down the field behind the linebackers, okay? So this is a great way, again, to force the defense to get either, one, aggressive and commit to one side of the field, or two, they have their feet stuck in mud, as we say, meaning they don't know what to do. They're, they're, oh, God, where do I go? Where do I go? And ultimately, they're leaving more gaps in the field. This is a chance for us to take shots down the field with a guy like Juice Wells or a guy like Josh Van. And also, it's a chance to get a mismatch with a linebacker on a Jaheim Bell, who is built tight end, big wide receiver, but fast. So ultimately, it's to force that action. Now, a a set of letters or an acronym you hear often in footballs, particularly in college football, RPO, run, pass, option. So what the quarterback's going to do there, in this case, Spencer Radler, he may hold the ball literally in the chest of the running back, let's say Marshawn Lloyd for this point, and he's going to let that ball go with Marshawn for just a second. He's either going to be watching a linebacker to the outside, a corner, or possibly a safety. And if they commit to the run, what I mean by that is they have moved down towards the line of scrimmage, creating space either to the outside of them or behind them. He's going to pull that ball out and go ahead and throw it to the wide open, wide receiver, tight end, or back that's filled that open space. But, Thomas, in a nutshell, that's what we're looking to do on offense. Pretty simple,
1: right? Yeah, yeah, it sounds simple, but it's it's all about that execution, right? Exactly. What South Carolina fought last year,
0: (laughs) the dreaded statement. And, Thomas, if I hear it, I'm going to give maybe once this year that I'm okay with it. If I hear it more than once, I'm going to lose my mind. If I hear the statement, communication issues at any point during the station this season more than once, I'm, I'm just going to lose it. I'm going to lose my mind. This offensive line not only is in their second year in this offense, but have among the starting five, plus if you add in uh, Wanamaker, you've got over 100 starts between these guys. Uh, this should not. We should not hear that phrase this year. So, it's important that you have to get those guys on the same page. Also, as an offense, you got to get creative. You have to run different formations. If you're just giving it to the running back on wide zone, they're going to eventually be able to pick up on it and stop it. So, you need to bring a player from the slot. So, that is a wide receiver that's between the traditional wide receiver and the end of the line of scrimmage. He's called in the slot, he's off the line of scrimmage. That might be Jaheen Bell, that could be uh, Brown. That could be somebody with some good speed. There could be a a DK joiner that's going to come across the formation before the snap, and you're going to give him that toss, and he's got a running start to attack the edge. All of these things sound very simple. Here's the thing about football. It's a chess match. I'm going to line up my players on the board and think I know where you're going to line up yours, and then I'm going to react from there. The offense usually has a slight advantage there because they can move a little bit more before the snap and all of those things. But here's the big key, a name that we don't hear enough of in my opinion. Spencer Rattler at quarterback, huge transfer from Oklahoma, many other transfers that have come to South Carolina's offense, all huge additions. Fred Kitchens or Freddie Kitchens, he's not somebody you're going to see on the sideline. He's not somebody you're going to see playing football for us on Saturday night. He is an offensive assistant. He is an offensive analysis or analyst is the correct term there. And he's got a whole lot of experience at the NFL level, looking at defenses, breaking down tendencies, and finding where they're going to have gaps. And honestly, predicting what they're going to do. What makes great offensive play callers, Thomas, like a Steve Spurrier, is predicting what that other offense is going, defense is going to do. When Steve Spurrier was at his best, when he was at his absolute best, it was like he knew what the defense was calling. He could predict what they were going to do. He knew where that blitzing linebacker was coming from. He knew where that coverage was going to shift, and he was going to embarrass you. And you've got to get there. So Marcus Satterfield has another year under his belt of trying to get that. He has some consistency, hopefully without injury, at quarterback And Spencer Rattler, and a very experienced quarterback with a whole lot of arm talent. All of those things should add to a very impressive offense, or at least a very improved offense. When South Carolina is dropping back in a traditional drop back pass situation, I expect you to see a lot of mesh or crossing wide receivers and also a deep cross from the Y, which is the tight end. Jaheim Bell had a great, huge play against North Carolina doing that. He did it earlier in the season as well. Did it in the spring game as well. So, Thomas, we've talked a lot about that South Carolina offense. The one thing I want to point out, something new this season that I kind of look at, is a tale of the tape. What is South Carolina's offensive line facing from the defensive line of the other team? On average, for the starting five that are going to be playing offensive line for South Carolina this Saturday on the depth chart, they are an average of six foot, four inches and a half, and about 306 pounds. So pretty good size. So I don't want to step on what the defense of formation of Georgia State is, but I'm going to say this. Their average size is six foot, about 260. So if you're a below average fan right now, you're going, well, that ought to be easy. We ought to just mash those boys. We got 40, 50 pounds on them. Here's the problem. They're going to run a three-man front, and I'm going to let Thomas talk about why that's a problem for us. Thomas hit, hit us with some information.
1: Yeah, you know this. This is uh, I think you and I were texting earlier this week when we started doing our research into this show, and was like, you know, uh, this Georgia State at least defensively is legit. They they are not a slouch. Uh, this is a good defense. Um, a brief background: uh, defensive coordinator Nate Fuquay. He was at Walford uh, for twelve years for the Terriers. Arf arf. Um, Elliot brought him into Georgia State year one with him. This is a veteran experienced defense. They broke the school record for sacks the past two years uh, 38 last year, 35 the year before. Led by uh, some seniority, some age. Junior linebacker Jameel Muhammad is a guy you're going to see a lot. All of Sun Belt safety and Lane. Definitely deepest on the defensive line. And <clears throat> so I'm glad you bring that up because this is a 3 4 base defense, three down linemen, four linebackers. Uh, Some things that they do a little bit differently is that they do like to run more of a quote-unquote traditional 3-4 where you've got a nose tackle head up on the center, your defensive tackles are head up, lined up directly on the offensive tackles, and you've got your outside linebackers uh, shading outside of the tight end. So they're, they're playing contained, they're trying to keep everything inside there. Um, you'll see a, a, a lot of quarters coverage with a four-man rush. They like to rush what they call the jack linebacker, which is one of those, again, I feel like every week we talk about these hybrid defensive end linebackers or linebacker DBs. So they've got a jack linebacker that they'll rush with their four. But, again, a little undersized on the defensive line. And, and with them going head up, they're going to use speed and quickness exactly as you mentioned, get to hit those gaps, twist, stunts. It's a big problem for teams that run those wide zone, those outside zone plays because they like to use pulling linemen a lot, pulling offensive tackles around the end. That can really disrupt that because you've got penetration shooting those gaps. And another thing is, as you mentioned with that outside zone, that wide zone that South Carolina likes to run a lot, it's so much about stretching it getting getting laterally to the sidelines and giving the running back time to hit those creases and, and hit those gaps. But again, the way they play their out, outside linebackers, they're playing contained. They're trying to turn everything back inside. And they want to turn everything back inside to give those defensive linemen and those linebackers time to clean it up. But a, another thing that I think is interesting about this defense that that South Carolina should have an advantage over them with is they pretty much stick to their base, their their 3-4 base personnel. So if you look at most defense that are traditionally a 3-4, some of the uh, sometimes Georgia's in a 3-4, Alabama, it's a Nick Saban defense or a 3-3-5 like that. Most of those, when they're faced with a spread package and offense that that spreads it out, they're gonna switch out one of those linebackers for a nickelback, another cornerback, a nickelback, or a fifth defensive back. And it becomes more of that four, two, five defense. Interestingly though, Georgia State pretty much sticks with their base coverage and they'll take one of those outside linebackers and just bump them out into coverage. With South Carolina's wide receivers and with the depth and size they have at tight end, this could be a huge mismatch. If you've got an outside linebacker who is not going to be as good in coverage as some of those DBs or if you had a nickelback on the field would be, I think that's where South Carolina could, could have an advantage there and I do think that South Carolina is going to hit them with a lot of that wide zone, but I think there's going to be a lot of RPOs off that too to exploit some of those mismatches. Like we used to see Spurrier do back in the day. I'd love to see some of that.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you there. And the situation is, you know, I, Sean Elliott head coach of Georgia state is a former South Carolina offensive coordinator and run game coordinator has had a lot of experience in the offensive line area I swear to goodness, I know in my opinion what he did when he kept this defensive coordinator because he was from the previous staff. He looked at it and said, as an offensive line coach, this is what I hate to block. This is what I can't stand to block, so I'm going to keep him and it's going to pay dividends for us. It's very similar to when Bob Stoops first went to Oklahoma uh, back in the 90s. He was coming as Steve Spurrier's defensive coordinator at Florida. When he got that job, he thought to himself, what's the offense I hate facing I hate facing Kentucky's offense. So I'm going to go get Mike Leach and make him my offensive coordinator. And that's what he did. So same situation here. In my opinion, I think Sean Elliott said, I hate facing three, three man fronts with four linebackers. They're going to shift. They're going to slant. They might. And you, you talked about that. They're a little bit fluid. They stay in that base package, but sometimes that outside linebacker is going to come. Sometimes he's going to drop. And, as, an often, as, as a quarterback, first of all, but as an offensive lineman, that can cause a lot of headaches because you're, you're trying to count who my man is, where am I looking, what am I doing, and that can cause headaches. But you're right. I do agree the advantage of South Carolina has here is that they like to stay in that base personnel, and if you stick one of your linebackers, I don't care if you're Georgia State or really anybody else, on Jaheem Bell or like a Juice Wells, you're, you're going to lose that matchup every single time. If we have time, yes, if we if we have time to throw the ball, that guy's going to be open, and so that's just the simple state of the matter. All right, switching to Georgia State's offense, their offensive coordinator and quarterback coach is Brad Glenn. He's been with the team for three years. Uh, was previously at Western Carolina, and then before that, was with Sean Elliott at App State. He actually started his career. I only point this out because he it was in South Carolina. Coaching high school ball at Greer High School, Gurr up in the (laughs) upstate back in 1995. A very spread shotgun, multiple wide receiver set. Uh, Very similar to what Appalachian State was doing during Sean Elliott's time there with Armani Edwards. And quite honestly, similar to what South Carolina was doing uh, when Connor Shaw and and to an extent Dylan Thompson were here. So this is an offense that South Carolina fans aren't going to be totally – uh, new to. It's going to look familiar at times. At quarterback, they have Darren Gardner, or Granger, excuse me, transfer from Furman, who is also from South Carolina, originally went to Conway High School. He is a little bit more effective as a, as a runner. More effective as a runner here, not as effective as a passer. And Thomas, when you talk South Carolina's defense, you'll get into that a little bit more. Here's the thing. He talked about that defense and how it's senior Lidner, at least you know, well-experienced, well-seasoned with some veterans. Uh, The senior and juniors all over offensive line for Georgia State and their skill positions is a lot. So on the offensive line, you have preseason, first-team all-conference, all-sunbelt captain, redshirt senior center, number 62, Malik Sumter. Kind of funny connection there. Malik's been in college now for a little while. He's taking advantage of his COVID eligibility year. I coached Malik way back when he was a seventh grader at Dutch Fork Middle School. So <laughs> how about I, that? I know him. I saw he and I connected on Facebook for the season. I didn't even realize we were, I had not even thought about the fact we were playing them. So I'm, I'm happy for him. Hope he has a good game. Hope they lose the game, but I uh, hope he has a good game. <laughs> um, and then at uh, two more offensive linemen, two second team, all conference offensive linemen in red shirt, senior left tackle 73, Travis Glover and red shirt, senior right guard, number 64, Pat, Uh, Barlett. And then you add in along that line, the tight end is a redshirt senior, number 88, Aubrey Payne. Then in the backfield, I mean, it just keeps going with the all-conference guys. Second team all-conference running back, senior, Tucker Gregg. These guys are all experienced players, all have played in this offense for many years, have had experience, have had won some big games in this time. Again, this is a zone-based scheme. They're a little more inside zone, a little more inside zone they're going to do a lot of quarterback read. If you've been a football fan for a little while, think West Virginia when, when Rich Rod was there. Um, a lot of other teams still do this sort of thing. It's where they're going to run inside zone on the zone play. The last man on the far side of the play, in the back side of the play, he is unblocked. If he comes charging into the backfield to tackle a running back, quarterback's going to pull it, run around him, try and get some yardage there. Famously, again, South Carolina fans, Dylan Thompson shocked <laughs> the world and did this down in Gainesville to end the Will Muschamp era in Gainesville, Florida, in overtime against the Gators. It is a play that if you overcommit as a backside defensive end, they can make you pay. They've added in more RPO. We talked about what that is. Again, all of this, Thomas, adds up to a very good rushing attack. How, is in your opinion, are the South Carolina Gamecocks going to defend this attack?
1: So it's kind of you know the flip side of the coin here. and We talked about uh... – we talked about how how earlier I mentioned how Georgia State is, is going to be shooting gaps on defense. They're going to take advantage of or, or use use their smaller size to their advantage, so to speak. So South Carolina going against this zone scheme, you know, as a defense, there's there's really two ways to attack a, a zone blocking scheme. And you as an offensive line guy, I'm sure you can appreciate this. And I look at this, the two ways are penetration and gap integrity. Penetration is obviously pretty self-explanatory. You've got to win your double teams because so much of zone blocking, depending on the individualized scheme is double teams and climbing to the next level, doubling and then sending that offensive lineman on up to the linebackers on the second level. If your defensive line can win the double teams and get penetration, it doesn't really matter if the offensive line climbs to the second level to block the linebackers because your defensive line is blowing it up anyway. Right. But, I'm looking at South Carolina to attack this zone blocking scheme with with more of a gap integrity approach. South Carolina has the size on the defensive line to eat up double teams. They should really be able to maintain gap control, which will keep that offensive line from climbing to the second level, which is going to lead the linebackers free and clean to attack the ball carrier. So as an example, look for on on some of those zone read plays that Georgia State likes to run that you just talked about, particularly on more of the outside zone runs, I think you're going to see South Carolina's defensive line engage, maintain gaps, and string it out to the sidelines, try to get that play to go laterally, which is going to force those running backs back inside where the linebackers from South Carolina can clean it up. You know, and and you you mentioned RPOs from this offense, and Granger is a very, very good runner. So I think you've got to put a spy on him or you've got to at least account for him for every play. He can quickly turn a three-yard loss into a 10-plus-yard gain. So I think it's really defensively this game is about what is in the trenches because, honestly, on the back end, when you look at secondary, it's just don't get cute. South Carolina, we talked about this earlier before the show when we were catching up, that South Carolina really has the talent to all but take the wide receivers out of this game. Man up on them, maintain your coverage, and let the guys in the trenches win it.
0: I, I completely agree. You know, this is, you know, a situation where it's not across the board, but at quarterback <laughs> South Carolina's corners and Georgia state's wide receivers, they have an athletic advantage. Also, you don't yes. have a tremendous drop back pass, read your progressions quarterback at Georgia state. You can man these guys up and let the rest of them play good, Keep your eyes in the backfield, watch the quarterback, watch this, watch that. So, I, that's my opinion there. All right, looking into our final take. Thomas, I see looking at the research for this, why the betting line is smaller than a lot of South Carolina fans would like it to be. I think the most recent one's what, 12 and a half, 11 and a half?
1: Yeah, 12. South Carolina's favor about 12 and a half.
0: So, I mean, this, we've talked about it. You and I have talked about it. Both sides of the football. You've got a lot of experience, a lot of guys who've played a lot of college football. You've got guys who have taken advantage, and I don't blame them at all, uh, of their COVID eligibility year and red shirting. And so you've got guys out there who've played a whole lot of college football. So they are coming in here ready to go. A lot of seniors. Now, one thing I want to point out. Last season, the Georgia State Panthers started off 1-4 and four with opening losses to NC State or excuse me, UNC and Army, and they were blowouts. They flipped that around and went seven and one down the stretch in conference play. They went on a huge tear with their only losses to App State and Billy Napier now at Florida's Louisiana Lafayette. I guess it's just Louisiana now, Raging Cajuns.
1: So and should have should have beaten Auburn. Should
0: have beat Auburn. So that you know, as much as that beginning of the year was a struggle, they they've righted the ship. And the thing to remember about that is. Granger took over as starting quarterback in October. He was the full-time starter in October. There you go. Here's the thing I'll say here. I love Sean Elliott. I've had the opportunity to meet him on occasion. He wouldn't remember me from Adam, but I got to speak to him on occasion. Great guy. He loves this state of South Carolina. Was a great coach when he was here. I know he loves his time here. At our, our, loved his time here. Loves being at Georgia State. I hope they go 11-1. I hope South Carolina beats them on Saturday and they play great. But here's the thing. I think South Carolina is going to win this Thomas, but we need to play a clean game. Very few penalties, zero turnovers to, you know, at least win the turnover battle to make this a comfortable win. And the last thing I'll say Thomas on this before you can get your last takes in, Georgia State is not coming to Columbia, South Carolina on Saturday night to lose. They don't they aren't coming to get a paycheck. This isn't Louisiana excuse me, this isn't um, Eastern Illinois, no disrespect to those guys. They are coming to play, and they think and believe they have a chance to win. So we better come with our helmets strapped up and ready to play ball. What are your takes, Thomas?
1: Yeah, and, and I don't want people to forget either, there's also some, um, some, some cross-roster movement here. Uh, South Carolina fans may remember Jam or Jamias Williams, who was a defensive back in the, uh, in the Must Champ era, he is now at Georgia State. He is one of their one-two punches at running back. He's sort of the uh, the uh, lightning to the other thunder. And then you've got Jordan Strawn on the South Carolina defense, who came from Georgia State, and apparently there was some some allegations with some some portal recruiting there. But but you're absolutely right. Uh, Georgia State is coming in here just just as well as they should be coming in here to win this game. And uh, I, I think this is this is going to be a really good test for South Carolina. I think Williams Bryce is going to be rocking for a night game. I think it, it's been a while since we've had something like this here, and, and I want to wrap it up with, with one final question for you because this is always a fun thing to play with the season opener. Yep. What is your prediction for the first offensive play for South Carolina on Saturday?
0: Ooh, ooh that's that's a ooh, that's a fun question.
1: And, and, and you don't have to be super specific, but you know, like like you're going with your with your personnel set here, and so what kind of play are we shooting for?
0: Um, I'm going to see, in my opinion, 11 personnel, one tight end, one running back will be in shotgun. I think you start off with Jaheim Bell in the slot and you bring him into motion. Either you motion him across to do either a fake or give jet sweep or put him in the backfield. I'm thinking we're going to run the ball. I'm thinking outside zone, but I think there'll be window dressing attached to it somebody's going to come across the, the, the formation on, a, on a, uh, a trade motion, if you will, or someone's motioning from slot at into running back to give them something extra to think about. But ultimately, I think we started off on the ground. What about you, Thomas?
1: Yeah, I'm pretty close to you on that. I, I do think we're going to come out uh, against this defense in 21 personnel, two tight ends and one running back. I'm looking at shotgun. And I think it's going to be a, a bread and butter uh, inside or outside zone with an RPO built in. And I didn't think about bell in the slot. And I think that'll be the the hot route off of the RPO.
0: You know, and one thing I don't have in the notes, then we'll move on to Clemson. You know, there's always this question in the first game, how much of your playbook do you show, which is always a question you hear fans ask. I saw it mentioned on message boards. Number one, again, I can't, I cannot stress this enough. Georgia state is a good football team. If we think we can come in and play vanilla offense and beat them, it ain't, that ain't the case. Number two, I've never understood the hide-your-playbook mentality because as a coach, I can tell you, as someone at one time who had to draw the offensive scout team against our starting, you know, have all that ready, make them get ready. Make Arkansas get ready for as many things as possible. Jaheim in the slot, Jaheim in the backfield, Brown in the slot, Brown in the backfield, DK at quarterback. Throw the kitchen sink at him because you win this game Arkansas has now got to think about all those different things, but we'll get to that next week. All right. We have not so far this season talked about our rival, the Clemson Tigers. On our show, we are, you know, completely open about the fact that Thomas and I are two huge South Carolina Gamecock fans. Both of us graduated from South Carolina, born and bred Gamecock fans. We bleed garnet and black, but because this is a regional show, we want it to be anyway. We talk about the Tigers as well. And we try to be as unbiased as possible, but I can't guarantee you that we are always extremely unbiased, just to be perfectly transparent. (laughs) So speaking of the Tigers, they will play Georgia Tech, the Yellow Jackets in Atlanta. This is at the Falcons' dome, right, the Mercedes' dome?
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah, I thought so. Okay, so we're going to start off with Clemson's offense. Clemson's offense, new offensive coordinator, Brandon Streeter, former Clemson quarterback from back in the day. I remember – so, Thomas, this is a weird thing to remember. His time at Clemson was when they did the the, the striped collar on the on the jerseys. you remember when they had the actual tiger stripes on the collar?
1: Uh, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. I'm, I'm a Jersey weirdo, so I always remember stuff. Like that. I just remember – I think he was 14. And I remember seeing him wearing that, and I just hated that jersey a lot. Um,
1: So (laughs) That's a very specific memory. Yeah,
0: it is. It is. Things stand out (laughs) to me. So anyway, he is taking over for Tony Elliott, who has moved on to be the head coach of Virginia, former offensive coordinator who took over for Jeff Scott, who took over for Chad Morris. Mm -hmm. So they have been running a version of the same offense for quite a while now. And so the thinking is that Brandon Streeter will keep, I would imagine, Keep a lot of the terminology, same the same concepts to keep this thing rolling. Um, now I say rolling. Things that were not rolling for Clemson's offense last year. It was not what they <laughs> wanted, it was not what they expected. Quarterback DJ Thomas, say his last name.
1: Ui Ungalale.
0: Yep, that that's it. Just
1: call him DJ U. I'm just DJ going U. DJ
0: U. DJ U. <laughs> Had a lot of expectations coming into his first year as a full starter as a sophomore, and they did not go well. Uh, I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, yes, Spencer Radler had some kind of similar letdown as a sophomore, although they were slightly different scenarios, but that's fine. For all the Clemson fans listening, they're like, he's not mentioning that Spencer. Yeah, 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 we know, we know. But DJ (laughs) struggled. Uh, Ended with more interceptions with 10 than touchdowns last year. Nine. And only completed 55% of his passes. Those are not numbers that Clemson fans or coaches want. This is not or what the, they're used to. Or what they're used to exactly. You have had two very very good college quarterbacks before this guy. You know, with Kelly Bryant in between, and I, I personally think Kelly Bryant did fine when he was there too. <clears throat> but you know, this is not what they've come to to, to expect at Clemson or what they've had at Clemson. Cade Klubnick is a freshman, true freshman, who has come in. He was, you know, discussed a lot in the spring. Could he, you know, take over if if DJ struggled? I, I think the, the jury, in my opinion, is very much still out on that. I don't think he's a a, um, a Lawrence-type true freshman that can just step in and play. Thomas, what do you think about that?
1: Um... Clubnik is, so here's the thing with Clemson is they've obviously been very blessed with a few, you know, borderline generational quarterbacks uh, when you talk about Watson and then into Lawrence. And they keep bringing in these ridiculous, talented, ridiculously talented recruits. DJ was one of them also. At some point that's going to run out at some point. Not every single five-star is going to pan out. Maybe we're seeing that with DJU now. I don't think we know that, but, but really uh, I do think that at some point, if he does not start out on a strong foot, they're going to be screaming for the number two guy. And I just don't know how well he can step in. I don't know if he's going to be a Trevor Lawrence. I doubt it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think, that's I mean Trevor Lawrence is a once in a generation in my opinion type player that could come in at quarterback as a true freshman and do what he did so I mean that's that's very much not the par for the core situation even with a five star just to put that out there Clemson's offense is 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 multiple but it's mostly spread based they want to run the ball they want the quarterback to run the ball to be honest with you they didn't do it as much with Lawrence although when they did they had success when he would do it um But it's Chad Morris's system is sort of very similar. It was at times. It was back in the Taj Boyd era, and Taj is now on staff. To what um, Gus Malzahn was doing at uh, at Auburn, and what he'll continue to do down at Central Florida. But um, this offense has kind of morphed into a little bit more traditional passing offense but they still my understanding is they still do a lot of half field reads a lot of trying to keep it as simple as possible for the quarterback which can be a good thing I'm not knocking that at the college level that can be very good it can make you more effective hopefully DJ you know again I don't pretend to be a quarterback coach if you want to talk footwork and hand placement on offensive line I'll talk with you all day long as a quarterback coach I'm not I'm not that I won't pretend. I know that I read a lot about his footwork not being great, his release point not being great, and that he had to clean that up if he was going to get better this season and to help his accuracy. Another thing, in my opinion, Clemson or, uh, Thomas, about Clemson that's kind of stacked against him, you and I talked about this week when we were texting, and at first I said they didn't have a lot of experience, but you corrected me. They do have experience at wide receiver. They just don't have a whole lot of production. Is
1: mm-hmm.
0: why is it is is uh, Collins his first name? Bo. They just have he just. Spells yep. it? Okay, I just he, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Bo Collins. Gotcha. Bo Collins has played a lot of football, but he has not caught a lot of passes. Uh, Joseph, how do you say his last name? Thomas. Ingata. Ingata. I just like if, it's spelled. I didn't know if the "n" was silent. I was trying to be <laughs> careful. Um, Ingata, and then Brandon Spector between the three of them who are listed right now as the starting three wide receivers on their depth chart have 60 receptions total as a, as a group of three and only four touchdowns. That's not what Compson has been used to at wide receiver in the past. Now at tight end, they have a great tight end in senior uh, Davis Allen. He's going to be a high draft pick, good uh, high school, excuse me, college and then NFL football player. But a lot of a mixed bag there guys who've been out there, They've played, but they haven't had a whole lot of production. So now how does that play into DJU's development? On the offensive line, you have some very good players in all ACC preseason. Jordan McFadden at left tackle. Third team, all ACC center, Will Putnam at center. But then you have a sophomore starting at left guard in Marcus Tate. He is highly recruited, but at the same time, he's young. That always hurts. So you have some concerns there. Running back room is definitely their strong suit. Their strong suit with Will Shipley, Kobe Pace, and tell me Phil's last name, Thomas. Mafa. Mafa again, how it's spelled? Okay, I'm I'm yeah. going <laughs> to gain some confidence over the year.
1: those <laughs> You're are getting there. You're getting
0: there. There are three. Those are their three top returning rushers. All have had a great experience. Shipley's had some injuries here and there. This is a an offense that. You know, Thomas, correct me if I'm wrong here, but wouldn't you agree when I say they've got some stuff to prove as an offense this
1: year? Completely agree. And I mean, a lot of that, of course, rests on on DJU shoulders. But I thought Shipley did a really good job last year. I just don't know if he has the, the size and durability to to be that every down back, which is probably a good thing why they're so deep there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Totally agree. Because Kobe Pace has done a lot of things for them in when he's been injured, but also kind of as that two and the one 2 punch, so to speak. So, you know, you have a new offensive coordinator. You have some some unrest at quarterback. You have some guys with experience but not a lot of production at wide receiver. You have some inconsistency of offensive line. Here was my thought. You know, during Dabo's tenure where he has had the most success, and let's be honest, and it pains me to say it, the man's won some national championships, so he's had the ultimate success. (laughs) When he has had his most success, those championship years, was when he stayed out of game time decisions. And I'm not saying he doesn't have anything to do with the offensive play calling and such and such. He vetoes, I'm sure. But early in his tenure, the rumor was, that's when Billy Napier supposedly hated, was that he was always inter- inserting himself in the offensive play calling. Once he got Chad Morris, once then Jeff Scott took over, once then Tony Elliott took over, he kind of let them run the show. Let them do what they should do. It's kind of a Steve Spurrier approach to defense. Hey, you go run the defense, defensive coordinator. I'm gonna stay out of your way. <clears throat> Thomas, do you think Dabo's going to be able to have that same level of trust with Streeter and give him that that leeway to make a lot of those decisions?
1: I think he's gonna he's gonna have to, and I think I think he's he's done it long enough now, and finally took took those 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 hands out of the pot, so to speak that I think he can do it. Now, the question is going to become if this offense sputters and it's not due to the guys on the field and it is blatantly due to play call and it is a, a Kurt Roper effect, if you if you will, then at some point halfway through that season, then I could see Debo looking at, hey, we've got to do something here. I've got to do something. And I could see him starting to dip his toes in a little bit there.
0: Yeah, which, I mean, again, that goes against, like you said, he's been doing it for several years now kind of goes against what that magical formula, recipe, whatever words you want to use there that has led to their most successful time. You know, so it's just a, a question that came in my mind, you know, we're now on another offensive coordinator. Granted, he's been a part of the program. He's been involved in things, you know, there's quite, you know, to me, there's, can he have that level of trust with him if, you know, let's say things start off slowly or whatever the case may be. Thomas talk about the Georgia tech, Defense, uh, much of a line, Georgia
1: Tech defense. There is uh, – you are spot on with that. There's not a whole lot to talk about here. This is we're, – we're talking about one of the worst defenses in the country last year. Um, you know, they've they they they've got some experience and depth at linebacker there. If, if I've got to look for a silver lining here. Um, I will say last year, this defense – against Clemson gave Clemson fits and they ran a lot of 335 defense. They did a really good job with that 335 of keeping DJU off balance and I think that was the key to their success. They didn't win the game last year but but success there. I mean, we're talking about a game that Clemson only beat Georgia Tech last year 14 to 8. Mm-hmm. Clemson stuffed Georgia Tech on fourth and goal with 19 seconds to go when they were up 14 to six. Subsequently, got a got a safety later, but but you know this was this was a tight game last year. And as you mentioned, Clemson's offensive strength, particularly with with DJU and his struggles last year, and then uh, you know I'm interested to see how they kind of try to to make things easier for him. We talked last year, not to digress too much, but how they needed to give DJU. Some more, some higher confidence plays, some dink and dunks, letting build that confidence up. So I'm interested to see how they kind of work that in with a new OC there. But regardless, Clemson's offensive game plan is going to be centered around running the ball. So you got to load the box against this offense. You've got to try to take that run game away. So Georgia Tech needs to put eight plus in the box. Dare DJ to throw the ball. Clemson still does not have that quick hitter wide receiver, that Hunter Renfro that can get open fast and be a lifeline for a quarterback when they need one. So Georgia Tech really needs to focus on slowing down the run game and be good enough, just good enough on the back end to allow the front four, three or four to get pressure there. And and again, take advantage of some issues on the offensive line where you can be a little exotic up front and try to take some twists and stunts in there But I think it's really going to come down to if they can slow down that run game and keep DJU off balance. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. Um, You
0: know, speaking of Hunter Renfro, to digress for just a second, I love like he's gone. He's been gone from Clemson. I I can he doesn't he can't hurt me anymore, so I I can talk (laughs) about him. Um, I love that guy and the fact that like you know, there's always the jokes about his body. He's got the dad body. He doesn't look like a professional athlete. I love the fact that that guy could have been like, you know what? I'm going to get my my diet right. I'm going to get in the weight room. I'm going to look jacked. I'm I'm tired of hearing this nonsense. And he went the exact opposite and was like, you know, he was like, you know what just man? Just lean into it. Dude, it's working for me. So I'm going to look like this. I'm going to play in the NFL and you know, DK Metcalf, you keep doing you and I'm going to do me and I'm going to get paid. Like I just yeah. I love the fact that he's like, "Nah, I don't I don't care what y'all think." So um, yeah, I mean, I mean he he did push off to help Clemson win their first national championship, but that's neither here nor there. Um,
1: there it is, there it uh, is.
0: So Georgia Tech's offense, George uh, Collins, the the head coach who's been there for four years now, uh, is Jeff. still Jeff George. Jeff. There you See go. why you got to spell it with a G and, and get me right off off? Like why Joff. Do that Joff? So anyway, man, I was so good, doing so well. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, you know, I would say his seat's got to be pretty hot. Um, things have not gone well, to say the very least. Um, and it's as he's been trying to replace and um, redo this roster um, to overcome or change from the Paul Johnson triple offensive, uh, triple, triple option offense. Um, a lot of change on the offensive side of the ball. Biggest, biggest change: a transfer of your best player, uh, Jaheim Gibbs has now gone to Alabama and is going to start at Alabama at running back. He's your leading rusher. I think he was one of your top passing uh, threats as well, receiving threats, I should say. So that's not great. New offensive coordinator, Chip Long, previously at Tulane, before that at Notre Dame, and before that at Memphis. Uh, this will be a change on the offensive system. They're looking to get a little bit more aggressive, look to the ca- for the Jackets to get more under center, They, uh, he, he did that a lot with Notre Dame. Uh, I believe his quarterback there was Ian Brooks, I think. Um, who I believe the Eagles just signed my Eagles just signed. But anyway, I digress. They're going to be more in center, multiple tight end sets. It is designed to be more aggressive. Um, Jeff Sims is the starting quarterback returning starting quarterback. He has got to make a major leap as a quarterback, uh, this fall with, uh, Akron transfer, Zach Gibbons, uh, on his tail and then former Clemson quarterback Thomas is it I know it's Tysha. <laughs> I know it's Tyshawn but I his last name I, I come on
1: <laughs> Puma-chan. Pumachan. I waiting on this one <laughs> Pumachon
0: Ooh, uh no disrespect man my last name's Drozdak it's been mispronounced my entire life so no disrespect <laughs> to anybody's name that I miss up my mess up but he came in after spring so he's got to do some catching up but they need more out of the quarterback position What Jeff Sims did last year was just simply not enough. Um, They've got to do much, much more. The offensive line issues do not help. Uh, I don't expect a whole lot of fireworks out of this uh, yellow jacket (laughs) offense against Clemson's defense uh, and really all season long for the yellow jackets. Um, Thomas, Clemson is stacked on defense. Tell us about how good they are and what they're going to do to the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets.
1: You remember that episode of Game of Thrones called Red Wedding? Uh
0: huh, uh huh, uh huh.
1: Uh, A bloodbath. Yeah, yeah. That's what we're looking at here as a bloodbath. This defense is. Also, the mountain
0: and the viper when when the mountain, spoiler alert, crushed Martell's head like a grape. But anyway, continue.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's what I'm looking for guys like uh, Brian Brissy and some of those guys to do to this Georgia Tech offense. Cause this Clemson defense is <laughs> you feel like you're beating a dead horse when you talk about how good Clemson's defenses are because let's be honest, I mean they've they have been ridiculous over the years. Last year I feel like they were plagued with a lot of injuries, but still had really good talent on that defense. But this year's Clemson defense, top to bottom, elite talent everywhere we're talking about right now, if they can stay healthy, this could be one of the most dominant defenses in the country. Um, they've got some some guys on the front four of the defensive line that are easing back in from, from injury. Ryan Brazee, who was All-American, All-Conference All last year towards ACL. One of the best linebacking cores in the country. Uh, I, honestly, I don't even think it's, it's worth it to touch on the secondary because when you have a front seven like Clemson has, you don't even really need a back. A, a secondary at that point, and, and right. their secondary is great as well. But what I really want to talk about with this Clemson defense, the real X factor for this defense is new DC West Goodwin. As as most people know, the 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 mastermind behind this Cle, Clemson defense is Brent Venables, is going on to be the head coach at Oklahoma now. But only one game as an on field coach calling plays for West Goodwin. That was the bowl game, the Cheez It Bowl last year. And so my real question here is, does, does he have that it factor that, that Venables did? Goodwin has been, he's been on staff for a while, and he's been heralded as the brainiac behind Venables' defenses, and he knew all the tendencies, and he could break them down, kind of like the analyst you were talking about earlier. But as we know very well, as, as football fans in general, and particularly South Carolina fans as well, whiteboard coaching and in-game coaching are vastly different. I don't care how well you can draw it up and how much how well you know your opponent. Venables had a knack for the in-game play calling and adjusting what the offense was giving him. Can Goodwin be as good as that? I, I don't think we know that yet, and I think that's going to be the X factor. But regardless of that, I'm pretty sure that with the talent on their defense that my unborn daughter could probably coach them to a pretty good record. And <laughs> elite talent can make up for a subpar defensive coordinator, C. Lorenzo Ward. Yikes. Bottom line, bottom line, this defense could, regardless of how the offense does, could carry them to 10 wins and another shot at the ACC title.
0: Uh, yeah, totally agree. I mean, at, at some point, if the defense can be as good as advertised, you almost have to take a 2,000 Ravens approach and just tell the offense, don't turn it over. Literally, we can score points for you. Um, we'll get takeaways. We'll get interceptions. We'll force fumbles. Just don't turn the ball over. Don't give their offense the ball somewhere in the red zone or give them an easy score. But here's my biggest question as we move into final takes for this game. First of all, I think this game's going to get ugly, Thomas. Like, I think this game's going to get ugly because of that defense and what I think they are capable of doing. Um, now, <clears throat> could it be a, a little bit of a um, fight in the mud because neither offense can move the ball? Possibly. <laughs> yeah. Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. But I, I still think Clemson can can do enough on offense to score some points here. So here's the question I have. Let's say it does get out of hand. Let's say Clemson's got it locked up halftime, early third quarter, and Cade comes in and he starts to outshine what DJ was doing. Do we already going into week two have a quarterback controversy?
1: Yeah, I think you could, and I think that's when it's going to come down to uh, the coaching staff and and Dabo in particular, and to, you know he's been in that situation before with Trevor Lawrence and and with, um, gosh, I can't remember the other quarterback's name um, around Kelly, Kelly Bryant. Uh, well, well, Kelly Bryant and uh, who was the uh, who came in after him? But point is, is Dabo's been in this situation yeah. before where he's had to deal with with that second stringer coming off the bench. And so I'll I'll be curious to see how he handles it. But I think it also comes down to how DJU is playing before and if that happens.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Ultimately, I think when it comes down to if we were going to make a prediction for this game, I think Clemson big um, based on the defense. I mean, uh, if if Clemson's offense can score three touchdowns, I think their defense can probably get them another 14 and, and close this thing out.
1: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That defense is good for two touchdowns yeah, at least.
0: I mean, so exactly. All right, so in the past, for anybody who's listened to us last season, what we would do was we would take a third game and we would break it down as well. We decided this year to, to get away from that a little bit because we wanted to spend more time on what you know most of our fans who are listening to this show want to hear about. That's South Carolina and that's Clemson. But we are going to take a look around college football. So in week one, Thomas, there's some pretty good matchups <laughs> – Starting out with Notre Dame at the horseshoe against Ohio State, Marcus Freeman, head coach of Notre Dame, is a former Ohio State Buckeye, and they will be celebrating the team he was on with Jim Tressel that won the title back in '02. What kind of chance do you give the Fighting Irish going into Columbus to fight to play the uh, the Buckeyes?
1: Speaking of bloodbaths, man, it's uh, I, I am I am tired of of the the overhype of Notre Dame every year, and they are it is back in the day. It's like Virginia Tech every year, preseason, highly ranked, and then you know they're going to win some games, maybe double digits, ten wins, but then they're going to get blown out on the big stage, and that's exactly what Ohio State's going to do to them.
0: I, I think you're right. I- uh, the only thing is, in the past, Ohio State at times has started off slow at the beginning of the season and it's tripped them up, but I don't see it happening here. Uh, I think C.J. Stroud and the boys are going to take, uh, take care of things in the, in the horseshoe. Next big game on the, on the docket, Oregon Ducks travel to Athens, Georgia. Dan Lanning is coming back to Athens, former defensive coordinator last year, now as the head coach of the Ducks. He is coming into Athens with Bo Nix as his starting quarterback. Who is 0-3 against Georgia as the starting quarterback for the Auburn Tigers? <laughs> Thomas, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, and, and I I had forgotten two things. Number one, um, close enough, that game's actually in Atlanta, but close enough to oh, is uh, it? to Athens. Yeah, yeah. That's uh that's in Mercedes-Benz. Yeah. Uh yeah, that's Might the be. the Chick-fil-a kickoff. Right. But but I forgot, I forgot that Bo Nix was there now. I also forgot about Dan Lanning and obviously that Georgia connection, but I think I mean Georgia's gonna be phenomenal again this year, so I think Georgia's gonna gonna handle that one as well.
0: Yeah, I, I yeah, I think Georgia's gonna roll there. Interesting game and you and I ne- that we're gonna talk about next, and Thomas, <laughs> you and I were talking about this with the buddy Patrick Nye uh, through our text group the other day. Utah at Florida and if I'm looking at this correctly, does Florida are, are they they're not favored they're only a dog by three is that right
1: that is right
0: and thomas and that, U- the utes are <laughs> ranked number what? seven and the gators are ranked number what?
1: uh i don't think we know that they're not, in the,
0: not in the top 25 and uh not they,
1: in the top 25 they
0: also have a brand new head coach correct
1: Yes, Sunbelt Billy, Billy Napier.
0: Sunbelt Billy, I will forever call him that from now on. Um, <laughs> so, I, that that's crazy to me. Um, I, maybe I'm wrong, uh, but I, I I think this is a lopsided game for Utah.
1: Yeah, I, I'm actually really excited about this game. I, I, I like to look at every weekend and kind of pick out my my marquee games, if you will, and what I'm going to be watching in the noon slot, the 3:30, and so on. Um, and this is this is going to be this might be a, a, a two TV year for me because I believe this is also a night game. But I'm really excited about this game because I think I think that Utah returns a lot of talent, but Utah also has to travel across the country for this and and leave nice non-humid Utah and go to the armpit of America to Gainesville where it's going to be hot it's going to be humid but Florida and Billy Napier in particular really needs to start out strong because if they come out of the gate with an L I don't care if it's to a top 10 ranked Utah team things are going to go south real fast in Gainesville
0: yeah I agree I agree and you know the other thing that could throw the Utes off would be all the jorts all the jorts <laughs> that might be tough for them to handle. Um all right, so that's kind of our look around college football. You've got the Gamecocks game. You've got Clemson Thursday. We're recording this Wednesday night. Thursday, tomorrow, you've got the Backyard Brawl with Pitt and West Virginia starting off. Oh, that's right. There that's right. are five straight days starting tomorrow of college football, Thomas. We I love it. I love it. We have made it. Folks, make sure you're sharing the information about this show with your friends. We are the X's and O's shows for the Jimmies and the Joes. You will not find this level of breakdown on any other podcast about the Gamecocks or the Tigers on the Internet. Find me one and send it to me on Twitter at at SAAFootballFan, at SAAFootballFan. And I will check it out, but I doubt there is one as deep as ours. If you like this show, if you like what you hear, rate, rate us, review us, subscribe to us. Tell your friends. Let's get the good word out. We had J.C. Sherbert on the show last week. A lot of downloads on that show. He knows all about the Gamecocks. And college football in general is a great, fun show to do. Thomas, as we are heading out the door, tell the folks what to do as they prepare for their first weekend of college football.
1: Don't forget to go ahead and get those butts and those ribs out of the freezer, get them thawed, and get them ready for the smoker on Saturday because we got a lot of football and a lot of meat to eat.
0: Absolutely